Episode 38 of the Corsaros podcast. We've got the whole crew back. Joel, Kim, Jesse, and Ben. Look, we'll just we'll just say what needs to be said, right? Um this was kind of coming, wasn't it? Is that fair to say? I feel like we've been kind of flirting with disaster for some time now, whether it was getting three points but in an unconvincing way, drawing to teams that we shouldn't draw against, losing to teams we shouldn't lose against, sacking the manager, director of football, mess. It just seemed like this was a snowball that was kind of building up for a while. And so now, after we're now looking back at a a 6-1 loss, I guess I'm wondering... Number one, what does it even really mean in the grand scheme of things? Because it it felt like if we had lost 2-1 or 3-1, it wouldn't have been as gross, but it still would have been another loss to add to the docket. Ben, you're you're back with us today, so I guess I'll I'll start with you. What does this even mean in the grand scheme of things, and, and what should we be thinking after that game? I mean, my hope is that that's our rock bottom, at least for this uh this, uh, you know, two or three year spell. I don't know if that's possible. I don't know if it will be, I should say. It's definitely possible that it could be though. Cause that was, uh, that's the, I mean, from a scoreline perspective, I think that's the worst I've ever seen us get beat. And then mainly it was that first 20 minutes. Well, seven, two against so Byron is also a five, five. Yeah, minutes. but that's, yeah, I guess you're right. I, I probably memory hold that one, but that's, that. it's a little different. I don't know. It's not as, uh, it's not, Byron. It's not as embarrassing <laughs> to get, yeah. And uh, for I mean, uh, man, there's, it's hard to say much about that other than it was, again, we've used the word apathy a lot, but I know that the first 20 minutes or so were were almost bemusing, you know what I mean? It was either like a shrug or like almost a chuckle, like, man, might as well take it on the chin there. Um, I, I guess I'm glad we shored things up quote unquote and, uh, you know, stem after the the tide a little bit after the fifth, we really locked in defensively. Yeah, and I don't like how uh, there are people out there making uh, Papa Matasar as the scapegoat of that one. Like, that had anything to do with it. You could say the shape did have something to do with it. Uh, you know, I think you could argue that. But I don't think he was the midfielder causing those problems. Even though he didn't look great either. But who did? I mean, seriously, nobody looked good in that. I guess Kane had the one shot. There were there were a couple attacks. But, man, it's it's hard to see any positive in a game like that, to be honest. It was, it was brutal. And I know we can get into this more, but, yeah, I, I – I know we discussed whether or not Stellini should get sacked after that. And I knew you and I, Joel, were kind of on opposite sides of that one. But it just, I don't see how you can stay complacent. And not that it's going to do anything necessarily. And maybe it's even bad for Ryan Mason, to be honest, to be, because this is worse than this, the situation he walked into after Mourinho left. Um, I don't think Much it's worse. Probably, Much worse. Yeah, I don't think it's a great situation for him to walk into, but I just don't see how you can keep that, you know, the status quo after a game like that, after the spell we've had. It, yeah it, well it's funny because you talk about you know kind of having a bemused reaction and the funny thing is you know i left the house a little bit late to go to the pub to go watch the match and so i'm in the car driving there it's it's the pub's only 10 15 minutes away from my house and i get in the car and i'm like well let me just turn on the game so that i can at least play it through 
uh, the Bluetooth while I'm on the way there. And the first goal goes in in, what, the first minute, second minute? And that was my reaction. Like, I just started laughing to myself. It's like, oh, okay, I see where this is going. And It's then, the only way to make it not hurt that much, man. Yeah, Got and then to. the second goal goes in. I'm like, oh, okay, so the game's over, and I haven't even gotten to the bar yet, and I only live 15 minutes away. And I'm in the group chat now texting about how, we give, how we've given up two goals in – five minutes and one of my friends says no actually it's three and eight so in the time that it took for me to go from the feed to the chat uh they had actually scored another goal so the, by the time we, i got to the pub it was already three nil and yeah it's like what can you do other than just kind of laugh at it because it's it's so ridiculous and the effort's so non-existent that it's like you almost feel silly caring because the team has done so little to care about what happens and you feel almost like a chump watching the game and like getting into it when the players on the pitch don't really seem to care at all. Yeah. So, you know, we've played a back three for what a year and a half ish. At least. Yeah. At least. And the reason why Conte was so like, we got to play it back three is because he felt like none of our defenders with maybe the exception of Romero could play in a back two. So we took Romero and Eric Dyer, put them in a back two. One Eric Dyer is not fast enough to recover in a back two. So a lot of the, the first few goals, I mean, you would just be like some of it. I was like, where is Eric Dyer? (laughs) The other part, I was just like, Oh, so he just let his guy go right past him. And then we played that with two guys who are solely wingbacks. So Poro, wingback only. I never want to see him in a back four. Perisic, we've talked about how he's food in a back, as a wingback. So think about what that would look like in a back four, even worse. So like I could see it if we had Emerson Royale and Ben Davies as our guys who were playing right and left back or whatever that would have made more sense but i honestly i just don't feel like those four defenders were put in a position to succeed i'm not saying that the lack of effort overall wasn't disappointing but from the start like i mean i didn't make a prediction until right before the game but that didn't fill me with any confidence because i was just like these guys have not really shown that they they could do this at all. They they barely can show that they can defend with that five. What does it look like taking that and making a four? So it it just didn't seem like it was going to work out. Um, I didn't think it was going to be three goals in eight minutes, not work out, but it. I never really felt like we were going to win that game to begin with. So, I mean, I probably, that you think about it, it was probably two, three, one, if we had, you know, the back five, we probably lose that going that way anyways but they played it back for a little bit in the game before but you're trying to do something on a whim with guys who don't fit in those positions and then you're surprised when it doesn't work out against a really good team on the road that's that's the other thing we need it's not coming out of immediately coming out of an international break where like you had a bunch of time to put this in i don't know what they were working on but like this was not the time to do it not the personnel to do it with it's like we're down most of our most of our defenders. And maybe that's why he did it. It was like, you know, we really don't have any defenders. 
like our center backs were were down on center backs, but I would have just preferred to see. I I, I think we'd have played better if Davinson Sanchez would have started the game, which is crazy to say. But Yeesh. I mean, just, what it's I mean, to. I don't think Davo's been on the ever been on the field for three goals in twenty minutes. He's been in for some two goals in short succession and just yeah, was man. not uh, not that bad. I was saying there was only like two goals that I felt like, you know, those were just amazing passes that, you know, split the defense. A lot of it was just lack of effort, honestly. Jesse, the last episode, we uh, kind of talked a little bit about like the apathy that kind of comes from seeing a team continue to blow leads and continue to kind of fall apart game after game. And I remember you talking about like, deciding not to engage with with the game against Bournemouth and just kind of spending some time with your daughter instead. And I'm wondering, after we give up two goals in five minutes, five goals in 20 minutes, just like what your state was, <laughs> what, what your thinking was, and um, yeah, just where you are now with, with your Spurs fandom. And it's, it's, I'm asking you this question specifically because I feel like in the past year that we've had this podcast, you've always kind of been the positive one. You've been the, the not anymore. Yeah. Sunshine to find. I had a tough, uh, I had a tough sports weekend. You know, truthfully, my, 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 my emotional and time has shifted to focus on uh, the Knicks playoff run, which is going we very go. well. The Let's Rangers playoff gut run, which was starting off well. And then as, hit the brakes and uh, and the Grizzlies. Normally I don't like two teams in the same league, but my wife works for the Grizzlies. So that's my other NBA team. And uh, that's not going great. So I've been putting my emotional energy in those sports away from Spurs. Again, with some moderate moderate success uh, there, I guess I'm all, all in all 500 in those. But so Rangers lost an OT that Saturday night. Grizzlies were down 35-9 after the first quarter and lost yeah. game three there. So I'm like waking up. I'm like, all right, I'm going to watch this Spurs game. My daughter was still sleeping. I put my long sleeve 2015 uh, Miss America sash uh, oh, yeah. Spurs kit on. Yeah, that's a classic. And I'm like, let's have a nice little morning. Make myself a little espresso, sit down, boom, goal, whatever, minute and two. <clears throat> um Boom, goal again at, at, at five or six or whatever it was. And then I'm like, you know, as shortly after that, I'm like, okay, well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna turn this off now. And so at least off the big screen, then my daughter comes downstairs around like the eighth minute. So I'm like, oh hey, honey. She's like, oh, we're watching soccer. I said, no, we can watch whatever you want on the big screen. <laughs> and so I said, okay, well, I'll flip this game on my tablet. You know, two is not insurmountable. Let's see what happens. I get it on the tablet. Third one goes in. I just turn the tablet off. I'm okay. We're fully locked in on what we ended up choosing was tangled on Disney plus. I'm like, we're fully locked into this. I'm not watching any more of this. Um, so I didn't see the fourth goal, the fifth goal, the sixth goal, the cane goal. I didn't see any of that. Um, uh, and it was just like, and the third was a banger. I mean, the third was a low XG, uh, banger, but off of a, off of a bad turnover, if I remember correctly. So, uh, we talked about this in the last app. Like, it's kind of nice to take some, some time off. And I think I said that I was going to do that a few weeks ago. And then I was right back there watching, I think it was the Burnmouth game or something else when I said I wasn't going to, um, but yeah, I don't see myself, you know, and I'm already getting sports fan nervous energy during, during playoff games. 
um, you know, especially with a few elimination games in the horizon and an NBA and NHL, I'm going to focus my heart on that and just going to take these last handful of games generally off. I'll probably do what my Everton, one of my best friends who's an Everton fan was doing a couple of years ago where he was just like, I need to take a break from this team, but I still want to watch stuff. So I wait for the game to happen. I check the score. If it's a draw or a win or a close loss, I'll, I'll throw it on DVR one night and watch it. If it's another blowout, which what they were going through at the time, I was like, I'm not going to waste my time and getting upset about that. So that's where I'm at. We've got whatever, six games left. I don't imagine myself spending time watching until, you know, at least to just take a little bit of a break and uh, and shake some things out, especially after the news. It was like, you know, the day after we, we blow this game or not blow the game, but get blown out. It's like, oh, Poach, you know, in advance talks with Chelsea. I was like, I just need to take some time away from footy. I'm just going to take a little break here. Cause you know, that would, that would break my heart a little bit to see him, to see him go uh, uh, head up Chelsea. I, I do wonder how your Everton friend is, is feeling right now with them back in another relegation scrap. They're currently 18th in the table and, and Lester and Leeds drew. So they both gained a point on them earlier today. So he might be back in the exact place that he was before, but it, it, it's funny that you talk about kind of having that welcome distraction because you know, three of the four of us are Knicks fans, and and I've been following the Knicks longer than probably any sports team in any sport. So that's kind of where all my energy is right now. And sometimes I do think about my Spurs fan friends who don't really care about basketball or the ones that, like, Spurs is their primary team because I yeah. I kind of feel bad for them because, like, they don't have that distraction that I have where I can kind of, like, shut my Spurs brain off and and focus on the NBA and focus on um, whatever else is going on and look at the Knicks and, oh, it's Sunday night. I'm going to just sit down and watch Succession and like not think about sports at all and and having some of those distractions. And I think there there are a section of Spurs fans where like Spurs is their primary source of entertainment. And so I really feel bad for them because it's like, man, there's there's no... There's no Knicks not, to go to go run. They're to, not you know? entertaining. Yeah. Right. Exactly. No. no, honestly, me, I went to the Knicks game on Friday, which was awesome. And so the game's on Sunday. Wake up early Sunday morning. I go to get in my car. The car doesn't start. So the battery drained overnight. So it's like 15 minutes before the game. I'm about 15 minutes away from the bar. So I was like, okay, now I have to take a cab. So I also missed i think i missed the first two goals just making my way to the bar <laughs> and so when i get there i'm like okay this happens this sucks i was just like as long as the knicks win later this is i don't care <laughs> i literally said that in the bar i was like as long as the knicks win later if they win game four it's like this never happened <laughs> and so like yeah if i didn't have it just to think about that for like the next i mean it wouldn't be a full week but sunday to thursday like that's what you think of and then you think of Thursday and you're just like we're probably gonna lose that too like yeah it's tough um we talked a little bit in the last episode about you know the the prediction of 16 points in the last 10 games (laughs) (laughs) so here's the thing 16 points in 10 games is what is that 1.6 right so you're you're basically saying We'll do a little bit better than draw every game for the last 10 games. That proved to be way too ambitious. 
Um, we're now looking at there's six games left, right? So in the four games since we made that prediction, we've gotten four points. So if you do the math, we're on pace for 10 points out of the last 10 games. You look at Man United. Where are we in the form table? I'm curious how bad that is. Is that like that like mid table, lower, lower half? So if you look at the last five matches, because I'm on Fop Mob right now, uh form of the last five matches were 13th. Yeah. Sounds um one win, right. two draws, five points earned, um, nine goals for 14 goals against. And that one win was the Brighton win. Yeah. And yep. and and that minus five GD is all basically the last game. I wonder where we are on the uh, expected goal form table. They have something like that, right? For the last five games. Oh, I, don't, I don't, that's, that's, that's too deep in the stats for me. Yeah. I don't even know how to find yeah. that. That's, that's a Jesse Same. question. I was going to say Jesse's <laughs> on it. I can see it in his eyes. I'll yeah, look into it. I'll look into it. He's already digging in, but uh, Villa also won earlier today. So now we're sixth in the table. And if you look at really the next six games for us, United at home, followed by Liverpool away, Palace at home, Villa away, Brentford at home, and end the season with Leeds away. So we could try to make some sort of guesstimate on how many points we'll draw out of those last six games. The next two games really feel like obvious losses, but knowing Spurs will find some way to beat United and then get battered at Anfield or something stupid like that. Besides that, even if we're not looking at our, our own table, uh, or, or, or rather our own fixture list. You look at the teams around us. Villa's ahead of us by a point, but they've played an extra game. Liverpool is only three points behind us with a game in hand. I'm fairly certain they'll finish fifth. Brighton is only four points behind us with three games in hand. So you don't really see any situation in which, in which they don't pass us. And so I think if Liverpool and Brighton finish ahead of us as they probably should at this point, given our current form. You're looking at seventh at best if we don't let Villa pass us. And we actually have to play them on the road in our second to last match. So depending on that game, like that that could be uh, the, the race for sixth place, <laughs> which is going to ultimately be the last Europa League spot. Um, and then seventh place puts you in Conference League. So... Yeah, I don't know. It's it's weird because it feels like, and I've said this before on the pod, like it felt like after we got knocked out of Champions League with that very uninspiring effort against Milan, who are somehow in the semifinals, crazily, it felt like our season was kind of over at that point. And then we just kind of had these luck, lackluster performances since then. We play Newcastle and it's like, all right, well, if we win this game, maybe we're still in the top four race. This kind of felt like a last gasp and we could not have performed any worse. And so it's, it, it felt like Milan kind of killed our season and then Newcastle really buried it. I think what's difficult now with the last six games is just like, what is there left to really care about? I think we've, we've all kind of talked about the apathy piece, but I think Ben, if you're looking at the rest of the season with six games left, what are you even looking for? What do you, kind of look to draw some sort of inspiration about yeah so real quick first of all i i 
I'm not sure how this is. I'm looking at understat.com. And the just since March 1st, just to give you an example, the uh, expected points Spurs are 14. Guess who first is for the last two months, basically? It's Villa. I know they've been playing well, but still. <laughs> well, there you go. Yeah. Anyway, um, yeah, no, I, like I said before, in terms of we were talking about whether or not you sack uh, Stellini in that moment. Um, and like I said, I, it's hard to be complacent, but I don't think it's kind of a lose-lose situation. It's, I, I have a hard time seeing anything over these last six weeks other than seeing Spurs, you know, actually do their due diligence and actually get a good manager, a good, um, you know, director of football, like the that front office stuff. The, the players, we know that we're in for an overhaul here. Like if the, I guess it would be kind of entertaining to see a little bounce back under Mason. Um, I don't know if that then makes, again, goes back to the, whether it's the players or the, the manager the whole time and the players continuously getting a new manager are kind of getting let off the hook a little bit. Um, but I'm not rooting against Spurs either. It's, 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 it's like, it's just the apathy thing again. I, I can't really, I can't find, bring myself to get too excited about it. I'm sure that if we actually have some good matches and, and play some good games, especially against some higher quality teams, that it'll be exciting. That, that, I guess that's actually, sorry, I'll, I'll retract my entire answer and just say this. I just want to see good attacking football. Like, please make it entertaining for a few games just to watch Spurs. Even if we get beat, like, I think we talked about this in the uh, it was it was Bournemouth, right? That, that came back on us right at the very end after we had gone down was at least that was because we were stretched because we were trying to win the game. Like I would rather see that mm. happen than us sitting back and conceding these, you know, 93rd minute set pieces. So I guess that's what I want is just more cohesiveness, more attacking. I, I would say better defense, but we know that's, that's a uh, pipe dream. So, well, let me ask you this because I think about what Kim was just mentioning about, you know, the way we've set up Conte and his automations and the way that that has been drilled into the players over the course of the past year and change. When they went in the back four, it almost seemed like they didn't know what to do. It, it almost felt like they had been under this uh, hall monitor for the past, however long, kind of telling them, go here, stand here, do this, do that. And the irony is that when he was away in Italy and Stellini was kind of covering for him, it felt like there was a little bit of freedom within the team where they were kind of playing a little bit more freely when we beat we beat uh, Chelsea, we beat West Ham. And then he came back. We were crap again. Then he got sacked. We were still crap. The back four obviously didn't work. But I guess my question is like, do they still know how to play attacking football? It felt like some of that's been sucked out of them. Granted, we have injuries. Granted, you know, Kulisevsky's not informed, da-da-da-da-da. But when I look at the team, especially recently, and, and that's, this is not even about the Newcastle match, but it feels like it's been so long since they've played some of that free-flowing football that I wonder if it's a switch that they can even turn back on now. I don't think so. I think it would have to be... You could give them more freedom and ask for it and maybe something will click, but I don't see how that happens without drilling, if not patterns, just again, it's like they're not even used to each other as teammates in a new system, right? Because they've been playing this way for so long with crowding space and getting it out to the wing backs and playing everything out through there. Our, our midfield cannot all of a sudden start playing possession football and playing it through the middle. I just don't think that happens overnight. I think our 
our forwards could probably snap into it if we were able to get free flowing football and you've seen Kane drop deeper. I think you could see it with, with the front three or four. I just don't see the, the midfield being able to do that. And, and I, I have a hard time seeing the defenders being, um, being, you know, reliable enough Good. for our midfielders. Yeah. To feel like they can step forward more and, and not have to, cover all the time and then again in our, our our wing backs that's why we can't play back four we were playing back four with two extremely aggressive wing backs Paris you're basically never... playing a back two yeah like that I, I i don't think the idea to play back four was necessarily bad we obviously don't have the personnel it would have been davison Chan- sanchez out there on the left let, let playing left back or tanganga playing left back um or even you know sitting poro down and having both those guys and having an ultra defensive back four um so I, I don't think there were any going back to that. I don't think there were any great, great ways to 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 play that. But um, I don't think that we can just snap into an attacking play. Uh, I, I don't even know. I, I don't know if Mason can can make small changes that would just make it more flowing. I don't think it's going to be free flowing, but I, I, maybe just like small changes to give the midfielders a little bit more. Um, space to move forward essentially to play things more through the middle but again i I, we're probably just not set up that way so who knows yeah a couple things that that came to mind is is one like this is several years ago to 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 reference the knicks for the second time in this chat but uh in this pod but like uh i don't think he said it i I forget who who said it and it was just maybe was on the on in an article i remember reading but like it was like when mellow was the best player on the Knicks for a while. And there was uh, times where there wasn't a whole lot of other good shooters. And it was like, well, how come Melo takes 25 shots a game and only, you know, has two assists. And it's like, well, who's he supposed to pass it to? Yeah. There's nobody else that's good on the team. So it's like, that's sort of the thing of like, yeah, a back four is a good in theory, but when we don't have the personnel to do it, there's not the personnel there that it makes sense to go to back four. There's not the personnel at the Knicks at that time for it made sense for us to like, is Melo shooting 25, 30 times a game the best thing? Or is, is a back three always the best thing for Spurs? No, but that's the that's the best option right now when you look at the personnel around you. And in terms of flipping the switch, like statistically, just right, you, you in a basketball game, there are what 80 to 100 made shots a game um in a baseball game you're going to average five you know 10 10 to 11 runs a game um and and probably 20 you know close to 20 hits hockey's going to average several goals uh football is going to have several touchdowns statistically the hardest thing to do in a team sport is score a soccer goal right when you're only when you're averaging you know two and a half combined in a game for for most you know most leagues and most seasons so it's watching the the Warriors um, come back in their series. There was a guy holding a stand at the at the Chase Center that it was just a big light, uh, very well made actually. Not sure how he got it in, but it was like a big light switch, and it said "Switch flipped, go Warriors" because they were able to come out of this two two zero hole. That's a championship team that knows what they're doing and is doing something that they've done a bunch of times before with guys that have won and competed at a great level. We don't have guys that are championship at least in the league winning stuff. And we haven't been that good. Even the guys that have been here for a while in a very long time. And it's not as easy as flipping a switch might be in some other sports um, where it's where you have more scores constantly. Like it's, we can't just flip a switch to be like, Oh, all of a sudden we're going to be playing beautiful attacking football. Now, whether it's Mason or whoever the best, most open attacking manager in the world would be coming in tomorrow. That's not going to just happen overnight in the last six games. It's just way too hard. 
Um, and our guys just flat aren't good enough um, or haven't been good enough in a while for that to that switch to, to, to get flipped very quickly. We, yeah, and it's it's pretty tough to play attacking football when you, number one, can't hold the ball as a midfield, and number two, can't press as a front line. Like, how are you supposed to play on the front foot if you can't do two of those other things, two of those yeah. things? Yeah. Well, you could probably press if you start Richie and Dan Juma, but that's another gets, conversation. Now you're talking son. crazy. Yeah, and a bench, bench Kanan's son start. <laughs> that would be great if they just just for for giggles, just to if see you, what happens. If you there. if you saw that on Thursday, would you be excited or not? No, bench, I would not. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I'd be torn. I, that would take frankly, away my apathy, though. I would be I was, like, frankly, forward to watch what happens. Frankly, I want to see them just experiment and do stuff. So I would I would love to yes. see that. Yeah, yes. Man just, United, I, you want to do that? I mean, it probably doesn't matter to be honest. We're, I, I, we're, I guess we're, we're, we're not getting many points for the rest of the year. I think like that needs I think to you're just probably be right. the It's like playing the kids like, at the end of a, a baseball season, right? Just bring everybody up from the, like play, play a bunch I of mean, youth players. Yeah. It's like in the NBA when you're like, Oh, we're not going to make the playoffs. Let's just play the bench guys and give them reps because the rest of these games don't really matter. But the um, thing I is, mean, is a lot of people will be fighting for points so they'll be playing in games that matter so it's like you're putting people in the position to play in games that still matter even if we don't feel like these games matter which to the players and to the club they probably all matter because they probably want to get as much euro money as they can honestly but which which youth players or younger players could you come in i like that front three would be kind of funny the only reason that one is the the no is because of kane and son obviously but it would be interesting and it would get rid of my apathy, like at least for a little bit, I would be like interested to see what happens. But I'm more curious about like who would, I mean, our midfielders are, are they've already tried playing some of the younger midfielders. I know they could play. Um, is it divine? Divine. Like the divine? Yeah. Yeah. So if we wanted a more attacking player, that would be interesting. Are Do we have any, uh, I obviously don't know nearly enough about our Academy, but do we have any defenders that are close to starting caliber? Like are there any center backs that we could bring in and, try to spray some diagonals. Yeah, it's funny you ask that. Um, I don't follow the academy very closely either, but I feel like whenever I do hear about academy players, it's never defenders, all right? It's always, you always hear about the guy that's scoring Midfielders. Goals, right? It's usually midfielders and attackers, I feel Strikers, like, yeah. you hear about. But what we need, yeah, it's like more, like we need to bring an attacking mid, somebody that can also press, and then we need to, it would be great if we could bring in some a defender that was really good on the ball. And, I mean... You don't get that with young players, though, is the problem. That's why you never yeah. hear about defenders coming through young. It's because they don't usually – they're like, uh, what's the equivalent in, in in another sport? I mean, goalies kind of mature young, right? Or mature well, that's like- the thing. If you have a good defender or a good goalie, they usually don't stick in the academy very long. I mean, you look at someone like Melier at Leeds. He's like, what, 20 years old, 21? He's been starting for them for like the past three years. And so I feel like with attackers who are really good, we're a little bit more cautious about like making sure that they develop the right way, that they get the right habits. And maybe this is when I think absolute nonsense because I don't follow the academy very closely, but there does seem to be like a lot of younger players that are able to break through in the back because they're just really good and they don't, they don't stick around in the academy as long, but you know, maybe well, I'm just. I think that I think that one of it might just be uh, kind of like our perception and the way that the. I mean, it's obvious that like the, the the positions they're in, right? Is defenders and goalkeepers demand much more consistency. When you're an attacker, That's you true, can be yeah. kind of a mercurial player, score some goals. 
you can have like a good world cup run and you're worth 80 million as a defender. It's kind of like an offensive lineman. That's probably like one of the better comparisons is like, they take a little bit longer to develop and they get killed whenever they make a single mistake. I mean, that's your goal is to not be noticed. Exactly. Unless you pancake a guy. So Kim, you're Ryan Mason. What do you do on Thursday? She already said she's going in Banjuma Kulu. No, I mean, I don't, I really don't think, I really don't think he does that. He probably. I'm not asking about him. I'm asking about you. What would you do? Just no Lucas Mora, please. When he's, when is he back from suspension? (laughs) What would I Start Lucas Mora at left back. Start him in goal. I mean, it's like, who's available? You gotta, you gotta play. Well, let's start, let's start here. Do you, do you go back to the, to the three, four, three? Probably. Yeah. Okay. So Davies back? I don't know if Ben Davies is back. Yeah, and Royale's still hurt too, right? Yeah, it, just know, he's going like to Madrid. We, it just feels like we don't have many options like to play other than I mean, like we can probably change out some of the guys in the front three. So maybe you give Rashalison a start and Danjuma right and left or whatever. And Kane still. And then Honestly, whoever does best in the midfield and training would be the ones I start. Um, Alfie Devine. I mean, if he played the best, hey, I literally would probably start the best guys in training in the midfield because that's where I feel like there's more competition. Probably for there's like probably yeah, there's still still four four players there. Um, and I feel like um if if Ben Davis is healthy, then he plays. Um, if not, you have to play Parasich. Poro's the only one on the right side, and then you got you'll have to play Sanchez or Tanganga. Uh, that's either one doesn't. I'd probably throw Tanganga in there, honestly. I feel like I don't want to see Sanchez can't get worse again. Yeah, and also know. Tanganga feels like he's played very little. Um, the irony, yes. of course, that you know, he, he kind of had his breakout party against Liverpool, who we have to play this upcoming Sunday, In a couple weeks. And it felt like that was kind of a coming out party for him. And it, he has not really kicked on since then. He's had a few gaffes and then he just kind of got relegated back to the bench. And so I, I, I do wonder about, you know, once we get to a point where it's like, we're not going to finish any higher than sixth. If that's still a point of motivation of getting to Europa League instead of Conference League, or if we get to a point where we're willing to like, just let guys get some reps and figure figure out you know what they can do and use it almost as like a very very early training camp i don't know that mason's gonna do that he'll probably play it a little bit more safe because yeah, that's serves. exactly what he's being hired to do like just to be a safe was, pair of hands but i don't know i was trying I, to- I, I would like to see something a little bit more experimental sorry i was just i was trying to think back on last time he took over didn't he pretty much just play the same formation and starting 11 that Mourinho had been playing like I don't remember him making very many changes no he didn't I think I do remember him starting winks in that um cup final but I don't remember who the other options were at that time maybe it was like winks instead of tangy or something like that I don't remember um that was the only thing that I remember people like kind of complaining about but other than that Harry was what was he hurt again? I don't even remember if he played. But yeah, I mean, it, it is funny that we're kind of back to the situation again where 
we have Ryan Mason taking over with six games left. This is the exact same situation that we were in two years ago. And it's almost like the Conte era never happened. Like there was no progress made from us hiring Conte, the whole Nuno saga, us finishing top four, getting Champions League. We We won our group. And it's almost like none of it mattered because we haven't progressed at at all in the past two years. So, yeah, I don't know. I think one thing we should, this is kind of switching topics, but just we have to talk about the whole poach and Chelsea rumor stuff, right? Rather not, Ben. Rather not. <laughs> Trying to keep that sunny disposition. Maybe it's... if it'll it'll happen, then we can talk more about it. Yeah, fair enough. It feels like it's like 90% done at this point. Well, what if, how about this? Would you be upset? And I know this is like a weird one, but also pretty realistic is if they get poached and then we get Nagelsmann. So I know we were talking about Chelsea always get going after your chick just to spite you before. Now they're really doing it, but that might mean that maybe we get somebody different and maybe better. I don't, I mean, who knows if it's better, but. Uh, Have things heated up? At, with Nagelsmann, or are you just you just full not, on not pipe as, dreams? Yeah, no, it's 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 not as <laughs> not as hotted up as they say about uh, Poach to Chelsea. But there have been some. They basically there was some stuff, and it probably is like some bullshit, like lower standard stuff. Which is, I think they said something I saw today was they Spurs could get Nagelsmann if they approached him the right way or something like that. Oh, we can get anybody. Anybody can get anybody. Yeah, I know. I know. I know. Top ten. It's club a hypothetical. The largest hypothetical. in the world. We could get it's, anybody if we approach anybody in the right way, <laughs> you know, like, what are we talking about? I could, you know, whatever, like, obviously you can't, it's, 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 we it's don't, we're not going to approach it in the right way. No, but I, I'm asking it more as a hypothetical than it actually being, it's not that it's unrealistic, but not have heavily reported at this point, at least. I, I think it sounds like we're going to have to wait until the summer with Nagelsmann, which would be one of the more difficult parts of it. But we do have a caretaker manager. It doesn't sound like they're trying to hire somebody to take over the, you know, the end of the season. And that's the job that nobody's going to take anyway, right? Like you, right. you're not going to convince anybody to come in before the summer. I mean, no, for even me, if you do, it would be like one of those college football things where they're like, yeah, I'm going to come in and they let the, the, the assistant coaching staff coach the bowl game and they just hang out like they're going to like check stuff out, but they're not actually coaching. They just are maybe in some meetings or whatever else. But yeah, it would have been the Harry Redknapp, uh, Roy Hodges type thing. Roy Hodgson type of uh, like the, the guy that's managed your club seven different times for yeah. short periods. Yeah. I mean, for me, I feel like. Before this week, <laughs> uh, or even before the Pochettino rumor started, Nagelsmann was my number one choice. I don't think that's changed. I have a harder and harder time seeing any reason why he would actually want to take the job. That's a separate conversation, though. So to answer your question, like, yes, I was happy to see that he's not going to Chelsea. Yes, I would love to see him be the Spurs next manager or the next Spurs manager. With that said, Pochettino <laughs> wearing the Chelsea badge. It'd be it tough to feels watch. so wrong. It just feels so gross. It just feels like. Well, this is the dilemma in my perspective. So like, I know that there were some polls going around of like, would you forgive poach? And a lot of people are like, not a lot of people, but a decent amount of people were okay with it. If it was Chelsea, but not Arsenal. Again, we have a different perspective because we didn't have to grow up with Arsenal fans going to our same school and teasing us and all that shit. But to me, Chelsea's 
pretty much just as bad, if not worse in some ways, because they kind of were the ones that started to ruin the the finances of, of football. But also, yeah, it's, a, had- it's a different kind of a hate, you know, um, there for sure. That that's a, that's a good point there. And I, the the one coaching thing is a quick aside, but like, is Johnny Vio going to stick around? He is for this year, but is he going to stick around for the future? Because there's been no doubt our set piece attack, and we're we're leading the league still. I'm pretty sure. Um, I'm pulling off the stats right now, but I think we were, um, we are, yeah, joint first with uh, with Liverpool with 14 last year. We had eight last year, um, all of last year, and so you know that would be something that I don't know if he was not that he was a, a, a. he didn't come over with Conte because he was hired this year, but I don't know how much of a connection was there, but would love to see him come back. I don't, they don't sound like they're directly connected, but I see you trying to deflect talking about poach here, Jesse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. I, I just, so what I was going to ask though, is overall, um, would you, would you blame poach or how much would you blame him? And the main thing is like, I, I would somewhat blame him, but obviously, you know, there are only so many top jobs. I really wish it wasn't that one he was taking. But anyone you're gonna kind of hate him on. That just seems like the worst one. But it's definitely uh, the, the worst one. But the, well, the main thing, is that... the reason is that, that I would say is like, there's no way I'm not gonna root against him. Like, if he was to go to any team that wasn't Chelsea or Arsenal, I would try to kind of root for him, especially if it was, you know, in a European league. But there's no way I'm gonna start having any feelings about ever not completely rooting against Chelsea. There's pretty much no team they can play that I'm not rooting against Chelsea, including probably Arsenal. I just root for a draw. You know, one, <laughs> one of them to get battered. Yeah. Hate, 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 hate. Right. I mean, that. I think that's the most disappointing thing about the rumor is that it's like, this is a guy that most, not all, but most Spurs fans fell in love with, still are in love with, <laughs> probably. And now it's like you almost have to hate him. Kind of do ops. He's he's he signs with Chelsea. He's the ops. That's it. Well, that's That's the thing. All right. So, like, I would never have rooted for PSG ever, right? And I I think it's funny whenever a big, huge, super rich team, especially when they have like probably kind of shady funds, I'm always going to root against them. You're always rooting for the little guy. But I did kind of root for Poach because it's like that would be kind of cool if he was the one dude that could bring them the Champions League, and that's the one thing they wanted. I mean, not like I was rooting hard for him, but I couldn't do that at all for Chelsea, you know? Yeah, I mean, no. I think the other problem here is that, by all accounts, Spurs never even contacted him. So, I mean, yeah, that's what the hell weird. is he What is he supposed to do? He's not going to just sit around. If he wants to coach again, he's getting a he's getting a chance to come back to the Champions League. He's getting a chance to come back to London. I and don't he's think they're going to be the Champions League next year. Not, Maybe not sorry, even. not Champions League, but Premier League. And he's been unemployed now for a while. So once we had Conte out, I mean, the fans have been singing his name for the past four or five matches. It's not like there wasn't opportunity to reach out. And you know that if we had put a serious bid in, he would have absolutely come back to Spurs. He's always kind of hinted at the fact that there was unfinished business and that he still loved the club and loved being in London. So this for me feels like this is completely on Levy and Enoch for just why do you not think they're so resistant to him though? Like why do you think? Yeah, why do you think they? Why are they not considering it? I'm just that just baffles me why they wouldn't at least reach out and talk to him. And see I mean, I can like, speculate. Um, like they just don't I think, think he's going to be cool with the director of football and it's the end of it. Or I don't think that has anything blood. to do with it. 
I think personally, and again, this is speculation, but like I feel like part of it is you're not ITK. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't think the ITKs are ITK. I think part of it yeah, is not wanting to admit that you messed up because if you hire him back, you're basically saying the past three years was a waste of our time. Um, and that's too much of an L, I think, for our ownership to admit to. I think a part of it is also looking at Pochettino and saying like, well, if it didn't work out then, why is it going to work out now? Our past two hires, well, two of our last three because everybody discounts Nuno. But if you look at Mourinho and Conte, I feel like there was like this idea of bringing in a big name who's going to come save the club. Real quick, though. Uh, the, uh, the four of us can all agree that that's the wrong way to go about your your hire. But if that is the mindset that our ownership has of like, we need to get this person who knows how to win so that he can teach our players how to win. I don't think Pochettino fits a profile of like the guy that's going to be able to come and fix this mess. And so like, I think Nagelsmann is a little bit of, he's kind of in the middle of the two, right? Like he's not an accomplished winner the same way that Conte and Mourinho is, but he's also not, a plucky upstart like Pochettino was when we hired him from Southampton. He's not Vincent company, right? Like, so I just, I don't think he has an appetite to bring him back for those two reasons. Um, And I just, I don't know that it has anything to do with anything else. Like, I think he just doesn't think that he's going to be the person that we need. And maybe he's not, right? Like, I, I think a lot of the reason that the fans want him to, to come back also has nothing to do with whether he's the right person or not. We just want to feel good again. And Pochettino is the last coach that we had that made us feel good. So to some extent, there is a little bit of emotional wish casting. And I think Levy, who's like a complete non-emotional person, is probably looking at it and saying, like, why would I bother bringing this guy back? And who knows if there was some sort of, like, they might have also left on a bad note and he doesn't want to reopen that wound. Yeah, that's what I would wonder. I hope it's not just pride. That would be, I mean, I guess so it makes sense, but I hope it, that's not what it is. It's just him not wanting to admit, you know, them getting it wrong a few years ago and that there actually is some legitimate reason. Well, there is, there is one other thing that's been kind of swirling around for a while now, and I think it's worth addressing, is this idea that, Conte was vindicated. His rant was correct. The players are shit. They're selfish. They're da 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 And in a lot of ways, Conte's rant feels justified or vindicated, I guess. The other side of that coin is that, you know, the players are what you made them. You created these automaton robots who only know how to play one way. And as soon as the system changed, they forget to play football. It feels the exact same amount of vindicated that it that it did like the day after to me, though. I don't think it's been vindicated anymore. For one, they put mini Conte in there after him, just doing the exact same thing for the most part, exact same formation, exact same lineup until yesterday. And if you're saying that, not yesterday, but a couple of days ago, if you're saying that vindicates it, I guess you could say that. But I mean, that's that's a one-off. And that goes still to me to the culture that Conte instilled in that locker room. Like we're talking about how they can't click back into free-flowing football. I mean, Conte's a big part of that. So is Jose, and Nuno obviously didn't help, but I, I don't see how Conte's vindicated. Again, I 
I think I'm sure that he's going to go to some team in Italy and win a couple trophies because he's not going to go to a, you know, a, uh, a top seven or eight team in the premier league and do it. He's going to have to, he'd have to go to the top one or two teams. I just don't see him going like, he's not going to go to uh, Brighton and, and win a title, you know? Sure. Well, I guess this was something that I was kind of kicking around in my head and, and people have not really been able to give me a straight answer on this. So, if you think about the players that we have, Hugo Lloris won a World Cup. Christian Romero won a World Cup. We've got people like Harry Kane and Young Min Sun who are captains for their international teams. We've got players who have won things in other countries as well. And we've played and lost against teams like Bournemouth, who don't have any of those things. Uh, or Southampton, who don't really have any of those things either. And constantly, week after week, we lose games, we drop points, and the common thread that always comes back is about how bad our players are. And so I, I wonder how much of this is actually about the players just being so awful. And I guess the question for me is like, is it possible that there's something happening at the club, whether that's a toxic environment that is creating an apathetic atmosphere? We talked about apathy at the beginning of the podcast, and I feel like the performance that we saw on, on Sunday was really one of a bunch of players that weren't really trying that hard and really just didn't give, didn't give a damn. And so, like, I guess my question is, how much of what you're seeing and what you've seen makes you feel like our players simply aren't good enough or is there something else at play that's more than just the players are all shit? You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's not as easy to say they're all bad. They're obviously many of them are very good. Um, they're definitely, you know, I think we probably overrate some of our, some of our guys and I don't want to go like line by line on, on people here, but there's, we, we probably overrate a few of these people that need to be better, but, uh, we didn't give either of these, albeit arrogant and jerks and pompous and annoying and not beautiful football to watch for the most part managers, in Conte and Mourinho, the full backing, Conte a lot more than Mourinho. Um, but like we didn't give them the full kitty or whatever, but it, it's it's poached said we need to do a rebuild. The players need to need to be recycled. Well, obviously we eventually did that, but like Poach said, hey, there's something going on here with some of the players that challenge. Mourinho said the same thing, Conte said the same thing. Now we have shuffled a lot of that. Some of the biggest faces, Kane, Son, Hugo. Dyer are the ones that are still here. No one is dropping Kane or Son reasonably. Um, Hugo obviously hasn't been good enough. Dyer's not been good enough outside of his little brief resurgence. But so I think that the the many of the players are good. Um, many of them not good enough. But three really really good managers have all said you know something is is amiss here, and it's maybe an oversimplification. And it's what they've got Antonio Conte finally fired. But like the one constant, at least public constant, influential constant has been Levy and the Enoch group. 
there's been a lot of stuff. Like we have shuffled the players, you know, we, we didn't towards the end of the poach tenure, right? The first team ever to go three straight windows without signing a freaking single person. Ah, oh, if only we had Grealish that summer for 15 grand, but Levy wanted to only pay 12 or something, but they're the only constant there is, is the ownership group. And whether that's directly Dan Lee, Daniel Levy or the, or the, 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 his core group, or if it's something like you said about the general culture around him that he's allowing to happen or, or ignoring or whatever, one of those things is th- those are some of the things that are, that are constant in, in some of these struggles. And if you had different people in different players, different managers of all, nothing's been it. The one constant has been that, that the ownership, the management at the top. So again, maybe no for simplification, but that's all these other variables we've changed different, different tactics, different managers, different players, different approaches and those kind of things. The one constant that, that has seen a lot of these failures over the last several years has been Daniel Levy and Enix. So that's. So what do they need to do? Cause they're probably not going to sell. So get a couple billion dollars from a over eager American is my vote. How about Steven Ross? Dolphins owner. I don't know. Um, so wait, so is, so I guess what I'm asking is, is, does that mean the only way the team gets better is if they leave or is it that they need to do the job differently? I mean, the, here's the thing about like why I'm leaning leave. And if we want to say like, get better, if, if we're talking about get better, I don't know what, what, how we exactly define that, but is that trophy or trophies or is that more long-term success? Well, at this point, a single trophy would be better. Right. So. <laughs> so I don't know what the exact, you know, what, 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 what that change or success looks like, but to me, like, um, that the, there's no doubt that, and we talked about it multiple times in the pod that like the, the Enoch era has, took the club from uh, what it was in the, the I think whenever they took over early aughts of just like a mid table, no real direction, um, no consistency club to where champions league is the expectation club. That's a huge, huge jump. So if you're in the seat that, that did that, you're, if you're Levy and Enoch and you're the people that, that, that were driving that you're like, well, we can continue to, to do the same stuff that will, if it took us from 10th and 11th to fourth and fifth and sixth, Let's just jump up another thing. So like sort of there has been, there should be a lot of credit to given to them for that. But like, I don't know if not everybody that's really, really good at business or at running a team can, you know, is good enough to get to the the next, next level. When you're at the, the top is only when you're at the, the secondary peak and you were at base camp before that, you know, whatever metaphor I'm trying to go for there, like there may not be, they may not be the group to do it. I don't know if they, maybe it's too much confidence in their skills. They've, they've made their investors lots and lots of money whenever they sell. So it's like, we've had this much success. Why do anything different? Cause there's been a bunch of success fiscally and somewhat on the field, not the kind that, that fans want. So I don't know if they've got an in them to do something different is what I'm getting at. So that's why I think that a, a different group, or if it's not in a different necessarily ownership group, but if it's this new Phil Munn or whoever, um, you know, of just yeah. like, hey, look, you take over. I'll handle all the commercial stuff. You take over all of the football. Here's how much you have to spend every year within X amount of percentage. You know, we could go over if, if you really, really want a player. 
but it's just maybe taking a step back from the the being directly involved in the in the on on field stuff. Yeah, because I we can't just sit pat because it did work for a few years there, and then it got obviously they sat too pat, like you're saying, where they didn't even uh, give poach any any new players for uh you know what was it three transfer windows um and you know there were there were reasons for that there was the new stadium and then obviously after that um during the Mourinho era there was the you know the, the pandemic hit like there are reasons to be a little frugal but we're getting we're getting leapfrogged by other teams at this point so you can't just sit where we're at um and and expect to maintain our position basically we're going to just keep falling further and further down the table if we keep being as complacent or as um complacent saying the right word since we're firing managers every other week but if we're if we're not forward thinking enough if we're if we're trying to keep some sort of a status quo or looking backwards to managers that have had success rather than what fits with us and what we can build from all of those points make perfect sense I guess I want to drill down on players a little bit more. And so like, I guess like, let's take Romero, for example, right? We got Romero was a a player that we really sought after we finally were able to sign him. He came in, he looked like a real stud. Then there was like some injury stuff. Then there was like, is he really injured? Is he saving himself for the world cup? And it seemed like over time he went from looking like the center back of our dreams to really like if we look at Sunday just looked like another guy so if we're thinking about the decline of the club the decline of the gameplay all the things that we've been talking about and everything always ends up coming back to Enoch out Levy out if we take a player like Romero as a as a test case are we then to assume that this player that looked amazing at one point is no longer good because of our ownership? Like how, how does Levy and Enoch play a role in seeing players that once really looked really good, just suddenly lose their skill and ability to affect games. So I think some of the, you know, anytime there's a level of toxicity in any workplace, the work you do can suffer just based on base level toxicity. So like, if you don't like where you work, it's possible that your, your, your productivity can suffer. And it's possible that if nobody likes where they work, the productivity of the whole team is down. So in my opinion, it's, you got to get someone in who you feel like energizes the players again that's when you'll see the best out of them. If there, if there's no energy in that place, it takes energy to play in a sport more than anything, positive energy, people who feel confident in one another, you can play better than what people think you are. So I think that's the biggest thing that the next coach has to bring energy to the club. Again, I just feel like in general, the fans are lacking in energy. The ownership's lacking energy. The players are lacking in energy. And until that changes, I feel like we'll be in the same position. So I feel like the the manager is the most important thing. And then it's it's the job of whoever they have in in um you know who's whoever's in charge, whoever becomes the new paratici, as it's their job to take a look at the vision of the manager, decide what the vision of the club will be, make sure those things match up, 
and try to find players that fit that. And yep. it's, it's simple, like have a vision, like actually have a vision about wh- who, what we want to be as a club, how we want to play, what we want that to look like, and then work towards that vision. That's how you build a better team. It might not always work, but at least you can say we have a plan and we're working towards that plan. I mean, Kimmy nailed it. I mean, like confidence is so key in all sports, but especially in soccer, like I talked about before, where where you fail almost every time, um, not necessarily in shots on goal, but you're always trying to, in theory, score a goal um, with each possession. And when you fail over and over and over and over and over again, that already hurts your confidence enough. And the last couple managers have just said so many these guys aren't good enough. These guys aren't good enough. And I just said it. So maybe I'm right. Maybe they're right. But that's still, you know, it, it, it's it's tough to hear that over and over and over and over and over again. So are the players bad or not? <laughs> Some of these players, I would say, are bad. But I feel like there are definitely more players here that are good than people think. I just yeah, it's think- the Gattuso meme. Sometimes good, sometimes not. <laughs> no, but I like... <laughs> Honestly, I think Romero's good. I think Kulisevsky's good. I think Danjuma, Richarlison. I think Sar is good. I think Skip's good. Like, I, there are guys here. If if Poro's just a wing back, I think he's good. Like, I I think there is stuff here. We just have to, you know, chip away at it. <laughs> Honestly, so it it's gonna take time. Like, this it's it is we we avoided what we called a painful rebuild this is this has all been painful these past 3 years have all been painful but it's going to be more painful than what we've dealt with in and it might be less painful because you see how it's building but it's it's going to get worse we're going to finish worse in the table before we start you know getting it to be top 4 regularly again i really think so so, so this did happen during poach's first years where he had to kind of like he had to get rid of us, uh, you know, a segment of players that were not pulling for the team. I remember it's like Eunice Cabal seemed to be kind of like the leader and he was not a Spurs legend or anything, but he was, he was liked for, he was kind of, he had a, a little Sissoka about him, right. Where people like he was mistake prone, but also like still played well. Anyway, the point is that Poach had to like, it took him months, if not even the whole year before he was basically able to kind of get some of these players out of there. Um, and I think that that's what's going to need to happen here. We're probably going to have to sell Kane, sell Sun while their value still holds anything. Get rid of Dyer, get rid of some of the old guard, maybe get rid of Hoybier. I don't know. I, I I don't obviously know who the the actual would who would be identified as potential like problem players in terms of not bringing cohesion or whatever you know culture to the locker room. But I think that you're going to need to get a manager that has to kind of like just get rid of that that section of uh, players and, and, and it will be painful. There's going to be a rebuild. It's been, it's been, we've been talking about it for years and trying to avoid it, but we're not going to get around it. So I think that's where we're at. Well, six, one is pretty painful. And now we've got United and Liverpool coming up next. So we might not be at rock bottom yet, folks. There might be more, (laughs) there might be more rock, more rock rock underneath us. (laughs) So we'll see how it goes. Two more matches, tough ones coming up this week. Come on, you Spurs. Come on, you Spurs. Come on, you Spurs. That's so so much energy. <laughs> <laughs>